Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Cornelia Pagliak. Uh, she's a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. She works in medical oncology. She's part of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as well. So we're going to talk about our research. Welcome, Cornelia. Thanks for having me here today, and thanks for everyone for listening. So tell me a bit about your background and how you started working in the cancer field. I was born in Hungary. I grew up there, and I went to medical school because, you know, we go there for straight from high school. And I became very interested in cancer research and particular molecular biology, molecular genetics uh, at high school, um, so pretty early on. So when I went to medical school, I started working in a biological research center, which is a kind of, you know, Hungary is a small country, but it was kind of the institute that runs uh, molecular research at that time. So this was in the 80s. And then I really wanted to pursue that. So I did um, come to the U.S. and I had uh, applied for graduate school at Cornell Sloan Kettering. And I worked with Joan Masagi there at Sloan Kettering. That was my PhD. And we identified P27 CDK inhibitor. And I just really, you know, loved research. And I continued my training with Bert Wogelstein as a postdoc at Johns Hopkins who's an amazing mentor, really like, I think, the leader or founding father of uh, modern cancer research. And then and then I decided, you know, to focus on breast cancer and started my own lab at Dana-Farber in 1998. And we've been working on breast cancer ever since then. So that's how it was. So I, I was one of those unusual kids that you know, very interested in something from young age, and I pursued it, and I'm still fascinated by it. So, well, very good. What, what's the focus of your research now within the cancer world? Are you looking at it from an immuno immunological approach, or 
What's your no. Focus? So we study breast cancer as a disease. So that includes all aspects of breast cancer. So we do work on trying to understand why women get breast cancer. You know, what is the what are the risk factors, and then why some people progress, others don't. With early stage breast cancer, what makes the progression and you know we have studied the immune environment and the heterogeneity in those aspects and then we also working on you know trying to identify drivers of the metastatic progression and also new therapeutic targets that we could better treat particularly the highly heterogeneous tumors that tend to have worse outcome and they more likely to be resistant to current therapies. So that's how we call it. You know, I, I, we, we don't work in any particular gene or aspects. We kind of study as a disease that allows us to look at everything that's, that's important. Well, is it one disease? I mean, I've heard from many cancer researchers that cancer is many different diseases. And within breast cancer, I know there's like triple, triple negative, there's a bunch of different kinds, there's ductal, yeah. there's, you know, yeah, so, what, so what does the landscape look like? Yeah, so that that's actually, you know, we knew that from many years ago, but in the more in the molecular era in the last uh, like two decades became very apparent that even when we talk about breast cancer, it's not really one disease. Like we, we see this very major differences, like the three three subtypes that, you know, treated very differently, the hormone receptor positive, the HER2 positive, and the triple negative that's lacking or the hormone receptors and HER2. And those cancers, they really behave a different disease in a way. I mean, you know, they have different risk factors for the incidence and progression and also mutations or mutational profile and molecular profiles are very different. And they also, the, the treatment responses are very different. So in a way, Yes, I mean, they all originate in the breast, but they are treated very differently. And um, we tend to focus more on the triple negative disease that is not currently having any approved targeted therapy beyond uh, chemotherapy and um, immunotherapy for a subset of patients. But we also very interested in, um, you know, HER2 positive or hormone receptor positive disease that is resistant to treatment, the current therapies, which you know, those breast cancer subtypes have more targeted therapies like targeting the hormone receptors or the HER2 oncogenes. But unfortunately, a significant number of patients are still, you know, recurrent and they, they don't respond to treatment. And that's largely due to the heterogeneity of the tumors. And that's one of our main focuses, trying to understand why tumors are so heterogeneous and then what modulates, the, what drives the heterogeneity. and how can we improve treatment of highly heterogeneous tumors? So, I mean, that, that's how we, yes, it's in a way, it's a multiple diseases under one umbrella. When you talk about heterogeneity, what, how does that manifest? What kinds of heterogeneity are observed in tumors and in breast cancer in general? Yeah, so we see heterogeneity at the at the that different individuals, different women have different types of breast cancer. That's kind of an inter-tumor heterogeneity. Then we see that uh, even within one tumor at one time, not all cancer cells are the same. So they seem to have different properties, sometimes different mutations, like meaning genetic alterations. And, and then also when they progress, they continue to change. So I like to use the analogy of like, you know, you have a bucket of uh, balls of each, you know, many different colors. And then that's kind of a tumor. You imagine those little balls are the cancer cells. 
And then the colors can change. You know, there are those boards that you, you kids have that, that you flashing and they change colors. So, so that's why it's so difficult to treat. Like you treating the green boards and then the red ones start to grow because they are lacking the target that you are focusing with the therapy. And then when the tumor progresses from the, you know, local disease in the breast to the metastatic lesion, like imagine you have a bucket of boards and you randomly throw some of them into a different place. That's what kind of metastasis is. And then you start growing different tumors there. So, you know, that's why it is heterogeneous and particularly the advanced stage disease that is so extensive and have metastatized already. It's so difficult to treat because, you know, you're treating, even if you're treating with uh, three, four drugs, then, uh, you know, there is a subset of cells that is not responding and then they recur and continue to grow. So, so that's why I think, uh, I mean, very important to have early diagnosis, but also this is what we're trying to understand about this heterogeneity, like why some tumors are so heterogeneous and how can we predict from at the time of diagnosis, which patient is likely to be um, not responding to treatment and progress and how can we treat them better? And obviously, you know, based on, you know, what we know about evolution and, uh, uh, and other cancer types or, or um, what we see in like uh, infectious disease is that usually you want to use a combination of agents that have different kind of attacking the tumor from different ways. And uh, it's just not so easy to work out those combinations. But, you know, that, that's one of the areas that we and many others focus on because that's what's going to make a difference. Okay, so I mean, what what is your overall approach to studying cancer? Then it sounds you know overall and not uh, again not focused on one type of breast cancer, but mm-hmm. where are you seeing that the uh, the headway can be made? What specific hypotheses are you testing in labs, or what are you working on specifically? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to twenty seven hundred plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000-plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yeah, so what we do is like we we treat cancer, look at cancer as a whole, you know, like look at as a, not just the individual cancer cells, but, you know, like the, how they behave, because what we have been seeing is that, you know, if you have like cancers with cancer cells with different properties in the same tumor, the mixture behaves differently than each one individually. So we're trying to understand why that is and how can we target that. So we study clinical breast cancer. We study patient samples. We look at um, very detailed molecular profiling, cellular composition of the tumors. And then we also study tumors as a, as an intact tissue samples, because, you know, the location of the cells, relative location of the cells within a tumor is also important and determines many times 
uh, response or risk of progression. And then even beyond that, you know, that primary tumors, as soon as they start growing, they, they start modifying the whole body in a way so that even cancers that not yet progress to metastatic disease, they can have some systemic effects particularly some that modulates the immune system. And then that makes some cancers more likely to progress. So we study that also, what kind of systemic effects the cancer has. But again, like, you know, the areas that we're working on is study the heterogeneity, study what makes the, drives the heterogeneity and how can we interfere that. So a lot of our work is studying the samples from the patient's And then we also develop experimental models that mimic that heterogeneity. And then we can do more functional studies to see, you know, how these mixtures of cancer cells behave differently than each one individually. And then what kind of treatment approaches can we apply to them that maybe uh, make them more responsive. And then we're trying to translate those back to the clinic you know, particularly like, you know, new agents, new therapeutic agents and new combinations that we see seems to be more effective in clinical studies and um, try to have clinical trials on those to see if they really work better in patients. Okay. So again, what, what is the nature of heterogeneity? If, if we look at the mutation model and we see that the cells in the tumor have different mutations, mm-hmm. you know, with their surface, you know, their surface membrane antigen presentation change with their localized microbiome change if they have one around them yeah. you know with their cell to cell signaling change like what Everything. is heterogeneity and how yeah. do you characterize it so i mean if if you want to be very detailed you could say that no two cancer cells is exactly the same in the even in the one tumor because yes you can have genetic mutational uh, differences they are in the different microenvironments because some are more interacting with other cancer cells others more interact with the stroma the antigen presentation, that's exactly, you know, whether they recognize by the immune cells or not, that is also variable within tumors. And then also some of them are, you know, in breast cancer, for example, we know that some of them are more differentiated looking, like they look more luminal epithelium. Others look much more like a fibroblast, they they more mesenchymal. And then the ones that look more mesenchymal, um, also tend to be more invasive, migratory, and more angiogenic, and also more immune suppressive. So they try to produce, you know, they produce a lot of secreted proteins that kind of suppresses the immune cell function, or would not even let the immune cells to infiltrate in the tumors. For example, Tigia beta is one of those that, you know, particularly has an effect both on kind of make a tumor less accessible to the immune cells. And also, if, even if they enter, they makes them less functional. So I think all of those are, are modulating the heterogeneity. One particular area that we are very interested in is the epigenetic regulators. So like those genes that determine what cell type it is, you know, those tend to be very commonly mutated in cancer, either amplified or actually have mutations. And um, the the consequence of that, that the heterogeneity of the of the cells is increased. And the reason why we're interested in epigenetics, because epigenetic regulators and epigenetic profiles, we can actually modulate. There are various agents in development that we could do that. So that way we could make the cancers look more homogeneous. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
and hopefully more homogeneous in a way that they would be responsive to a treatment. So, so if you imagine like, you know, cancer cells can have like 100 different phenotypes. And then if we treat with a epigenetic drug, then they go down maybe like a few main pathways in uh, phenotypes, and then they could become more responsive to treatment. So that's one of the areas that we're very interested in and also published several papers to show that that's actually the case, that you could, you have these mutant epigenetic regulators and when they are mutant and their tumors are more heterogeneous, and if we inhibit their activity, then we can make the tumors more homogeneous and make them respond to treatment better. Well, if you're hitting the, the tumors with chemotherapy, as appears to be standard of care for most cancers, then that seems to drive heterogeneity. So how, how is anyone supposed to get a handle on this and fight it if, uh, you know, chemo may or may not be used in a cocktail? And again, it appears to drive heterogeneity, like unbelievably. That, that's actually not as, um, I mean, chemo is actually less uh, biased than targeted therapy. Targeted therapy will always only hit the target and not the cells that lacking the target. So for example, HER2 targeted therapy, which can be very effective, but you know, there are significant fraction of patients. We just published a paper on that, that lacking HER2, you know, within a tumor, you have 99.9% of the cells have HER2. And then you have this very small fraction, or some cases, not even that small fraction that is lacking the target, you know, lacking HER2. So then it doesn't work. And chemotherapy, in a way, can be beneficial in cases like that, because chemotherapy doesn't require the presence of a particular gene. It's just targeting um, cells that are proliferating. So I, I think it depends on what kind of therapy, chemotherapy you approach and also when are you applying. Because, for example, triple negative breast cancer, almost half of the patients are cured by chemotherapy alone the ones who respond and, you know, they cured really in a way that they will not have recurrence ever, very, very rarely. Whereas, you know, the hormone receptor positive disease, yeah, they're responding well to hormonal therapy, but then they can have very late recurrences. They continuously have recurrences. So, so I think it's, it, it's not necessarily that chemo is bad. It just depends on the tumor and depending on when you're applying and Certainly, you don't want to treat people with chemotherapy that not likely to respond because you have an obvious side effects. But I think that's a, that's what we're trying to each, every one of us, including us, trying to achieve is like trying to match the patients at the given time to the best therapeutic approach. Because, you know, even the same patient at different stage of the disease or, or you know, the, at diagnosis or recurrence or so that they may require different therapies. So for example, in, in breast cancer, particularly in a triple negative disease, patients, when they diagnosed, very commonly undergo so-called neoadjuvant therapy, which is basically treatment even before surgical removal of the tumor. And it's usually lasts a few months. And during that time, you will see who is responding, who is not responding. In triple negative disease, almost uh, patients who respond completely, 90% of them will not have recurrence. So, you know, they essentially cured. And then there are patients, unfortunately, who don't respond. And then you could, at that time, you could decide that how to treat them differently after surgery to not use the same kind of approach. So I think that that's what we're trying to match the, that's what precision medicine is in a way that we want to match the patient with the right therapy at the right time, and then make changes 
as if that particular therapy doesn't work. Well, what, what, what is the right therapy then? So you, it, it seems like you may be saying that some targeted therapies, if they get 99% of the tumor mass, the 1% is plenty enough for it to recur. You seem like you're saying some general chemotherapies, they're not targeted, they work better. So how do you approach this then? You know, do you um, go for a targeted well, I mean, therapy combined with a general or vice versa or what order? Uh, it, it depends on a tumor and depending on uh, on the treatment. So yes, so for example, in, in some cases, the targeted therapy is combined with uh, chemotherapy or immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is kind of, you know, also kind of um, not specific to a particular population. So combination would work the best. We just need to know which combination, which patient and which tumor to apply. Like her, I know man, there's many people say, oh, we just need targeted therapy, but targeted therapy always selects for resistance. Every single tumor will recur that you're using only targeted therapy, especially if you're using only one type of a targeted therapy. So either you need to have a combination that targets all the populations and you have to have different targets, or you need to combine the targeted therapy with some non-targeted therapy that would somehow inhibit uh, even the cancer cells that don't have the target. Or I'm in the area that we are not as interesting is trying to understand why we have these heterogeneous populations. Like, for example, in HER2 positive tumors, why do we have HER2 negative cells? You know, HER2 is supposed to be important driver of those tumors. Why are they lacking? And then what are they doing as the tumor grows? Why don't they just disappear? Because they seem to be growing slower. So then if we better understand that, then maybe we design different kind of combination for those patients. And whether that's going to be combination of targeted therapy with chemo or immunotherapy or epigenetic therapy, that depends on the particular case and at the given time. I think epigenetic agents will be very good combinations because they seem to modulate the tumor's heterogeneity. And But again, like those are still kind of just emerging agents, like not many of them or very few of them are actually used in a clinic. But what would epigenetic therapy look like? What would it do? How would it work? Well, epigenetic therapy could be, you know, some of it is used already, like um, some of the differentiation therapies that used in some pediatric tumors and work amazingly, make cells differentiate. That's one of those. Others are, we and others working on that we know modulate the heterogeneity of the cell populations and um, trying to combine them with other agents. And we're talking about not just combining two drugs, but sometimes three or four drugs. And as long as they have different kind of uh, ways of killing the cancer cells or targeting the tumor uh, and not overlapping toxicity, I think that's the way it will work, you know, that more combinations we apply in general, we have higher efficacy. It's just we have to be able to do that safely. And again, like, not everybody needs it. You know, people who can be cured like early stage tumors or not that heterogeneous smaller tumors that we can cure with one agent, we want to use one agent because why create more potential toxicity? So, but then others who are looking like they have a bad tumor, then they need uh, more extensive combinations and we need to assign that uh, early on. And if you don't need it, then we don't need to need it. So it goes both ways. You know, we don't want to overtreat people because that's always creates more issues long term. But at the same time, the people who have the bad type of tumors, we need to treat more aggressively and uh, early from early on because recurrence is 
are much more difficult to, to deal with because, you know, treatment itself is changing the tumor. You know, you're selecting, obviously, when you're treating somebody, you're selecting for cancer cells that can continue to grow despite the therapy. So, of course, uh, that changes the tumors very significantly. And we want to avoid that. Ideally, we want to kind of treat the tumor and kill as many cancer cells as quickly as we can. The heterogeneity seems to be a necessary condition for tumor survival and for tumors to thrive. I mean, even, you know, it seems like, again, I may be wrong, but even when, um, you know, a tumor, again, is attacked and there may be one or two, you know, clonal lineages that survive and then they proliferate again, but heterogeneity returns just in a different form. Yes. So I just wonder if heterogeneity is a necessary condition, again, for a tumor to survive. That's like, I guess, like a... Yeah, I mean, heterogeneity, you know, I mean, just coming back to the definition of evolution, what drives evolution, heterogeneity and selection and reproduction. So tumors are the same. If you would not be heterogeneous and um, would be a very homogeneous population that could be killed by one drug, that, that, that the tumor would be effectively treated. But that's the challenge we have. And, you know, like, um, yes, yeah, so you treat the tumor and then you have a subpopulation that grows and then that regenerates a different type of heterogeneity. And that's why it's so difficult to treat the you know, more advanced stage tumors and the recurrent tumors, because, um, you know, that evolution is very, 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 you know, it's hard to stop. That's why, you know, if we inhibit the proliferation, for example, the chemotherapy is in a way it's if you slow down the proliferation of the cells, even though you may not cure them completely, but just slowing it down in combination with some other agent can be actually beneficial because again, like you have selection, proliferation, Heterogeneity are the three drivers of the progression. So modulating any one of them, or actually ideally the combination of them, is the best approach because that's the most effective way of controlling the cancer. If you look at primary tumors versus metastases, you know, within breast cancer, what does the heterogeneity look like? How is it different in metastatic sites or you know, pre or post chemo or pre or post targeted therapy, like have people been able to characterize the type or flavor or color of heterogeneity? You know, how is it different in the comparison? Yeah. So, I mean, um, for metastatic disease, one of the obvious increase in heterogeneity comes from the different location of the tumor, because, you know, a tumor that is growing in a brain or in the lung or in the liver it's in a totally different environment. So there is a very strong selection for cancer cells that can grow in that environment. So you basically can have, you know, in a diffusely metastatic patient that has metastatic lesions in multiple organs, one of the heterogeneity comes from that, that, you know, you just have different locations and every one of them selects for different types of cells and every one of them have different microenvironment, meaning like the surrounding cells are different. The immune cell ability to invade is different, like in the brain, and they may not go in that well. So that comes from there. And at the same time, the in breast cancer, most almost all cases are recurrences after systemic therapy. So then you have the the treatment itself can increase heterogeneity sometimes in a way that you basically increasing mutation rates. Uh, unfortunately, that can happen sometimes with some treatment. Other times you're selecting for a subpopulation of cells that is more resistant to treatment. So for example, in breast cancer, the hormone receptor positive disease that in general 
responds pretty well to treatment. But then when they recur, then they have mutation in the hormone receptor like ESR1. That's very common. Or many epigenetic regulators, interestingly, are more commonly mutated in the recurrent metastatic disease. For example, the ARID mutation, or there's this epigenetic complex that's very important for determining the epigenetic landscape of the cells, like what genes are active or inactive. Those tend to be more frequently mutated in the metastatic treatment-resistant disease, which will lead to increased epigenetic plasticity. So you basically selecting for cells that have um, many different uh, features and uh, increasing heterogeneity. And, you know, that basically makes the treatment of metastatic disease even more difficult. What's your your thoughts going forward on, um, you know, the efficacy of treatments that you're working on and other other scientists are working on? I mean, because it seems like it'll be close to breakthroughs, specifically in regards to breast cancer or other cancers or is it just, you know, it's a, it's a big unknown. There's going to be decades more of work and who knows what yeah. will come of it. I don't think it's decades. I mean, you know, like the, the last, you know, five years, we have amazing progress with immunotherapy in many cancer types that used to be, you know, untreatable, like even lung cancer, you know, the, the, they, the subset of patients that respond to immunotherapy, they're doing well in melanoma, you know, metastatic melanoma can be cured a subset of cases by immunotherapy or the combination of therapies. So a breast cancer, unfortunately, is one of those cancer types that is not responding well to the currently available immunotherapies. But then the other thing what we see is happening that we need to apply those treatments at earlier stages because you, as I mentioned, that earlier stages, the cancer is not less heterogeneous and also you have fewer cancer cells. So, you know, like even even if you consider like a one centimeter cancer as a small cancer, that's billions of cancer cells, 10 to the 9, 10 to the 12 cancer cells. So if you imagine that um, having a subpopulation that resistant to treatment increases the higher number you have, then of course, if you treat earlier, it's better. So, and also immunotherapy seems to be more effective in breast cancer when applied early, like in an adjuvant or even in a now adjuvant setting. Of course, it's because cancer cells have not figured out a way to escape that immune system. And then the problem there comes is that um, some of those therapies have significant side effects, like immunotherapy can trigger an autoimmune disease that can kill you, or you trigger an autoimmune diabetes. So you're basically going to be diabetic for life. So, so there, one of the challenges is to figure out who's more likely to have a side effect, serious side effect. And um, at the same time, who is more likely to respond? So I think we have, you know, that this better understanding of heterogeneity, but coming down, we need drugs. We need drugs from different types of genes and pathways. And then also we need more pipelines to evaluate combinations of agents and earlier stages, because, you know, the, the traditional clinical trial design is that um, when you're testing a new agent or new combination, you're testing them in patients who basically resisted every kind of therapy that you already tried. You know, they really, really kind of refractory to treatment. And then you're asking a new agent that you're trying to test, 
many times you have to apply as a single agent to cure a cancer that already resisted like 10 different ways of trying to kill it. So I think that also has to change. We have to be more open to move investigational drugs into earlier stages because they may be more efficacious early on, but not at the end, you know, when you basically trying to treat the refractory disease. And immunotherapy is one of the good examples for this, for breast cancer. You know, the metastatic patients who already failed many therapies, only like 10, 20% of them respond. But if you move it to early stages and combine it with some chemo, then you have 50% respond. So it's a, I think we need uh, better drugs. We need uh, better ways to com- com- combinations better ways to assign patients to particular therapy. And also we need to change our clinical trial design in a way that take, take some you know, earlier stage uh, testing into the clinic more often. Well, very good. Well, Cornelia, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? They can Google me and, uh, you know, the website. Uh, we have a lab website or have email publications we have there and um, they can check those okay well thank you for coming on the podcast Cornelia. i appreciate it okay thank you if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes you've been listening to the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs if you like what you hear be sure to review and subscribe to the finding genius podcast on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and Want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.